We've got popcorn tonight, man. Popcorn for the kids. So, um, yeah, you guys know where I've been the last few weeks. Um, enamored in awe. I'm like that a lot. I mean, filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. This beautiful God, so I'm still in the Psalms. It just seems like the right place to be um, as uh, the Lord takes me through this time of uh, just, yeah, being in awe of who He is. As I, as I read Psalm 34 um, this week, two songs came to my mind. One of them's really stupid, and the other one was pretty good. Um, but if you don't know Psalm 34, I, I think you'll understand why these songs came to my mind. And I've shared both of them with you in the past, but I thought I would start by asking, how old were you in 1988? I know most of you were not here yet, um, so I get that, I get that. I was 33 years old, and I remember the song. Maybe there's someone else in here who might remember the song. Um, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Does anybody remember this song? Anybody know this song, David? You remember this song? Okay. Must not have, it must not have gone to number one in Canada. It went to number one in the States. Don't worry, be happy. David McFerrin. Uh, it's, a, it's, a goofy, it's a goofy little song. One of the lines is, The landlord say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. It's like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Um, yeah, there's no heart. There's nothing hard there. There's no good counsel there. It's like much of what we hear the world say there's really not much to sink your teeth into. It's rather vacuous, I would say. But real Christians, those who are in love with Jesus Christ, those who have given themselves to Him, those who walk with Him, those who, who are His disciples, we don't worry anyway, right? We don't need David McFerrin's song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, because we don't worry, Right? Oh, I think some of us are lying. Some of us are telling a story. Aren't we all prone to it? Don't we all naturally give ourselves to worry? But what does Jesus say about worry? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says it six times. Do not be anxious for your life. Do not be anxious about what you shall eat. Do not be anxious about what you shall drink. Do not be anxious about what you shall wear. Do not be anxious about the, the span of life that you have. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. Why can the true believer live like this? Why do we not have to be anxious? Why do we not have to worry? You remember how Jesus finished the, uh, that admonition there in, in Matthew 6? He doesn't just say, don't worry, be happy. He says something infinitely more substantial. He says something that changes every single day for the rest of our lives, those of us who know Him. Jesus says, do not keep worrying. Your Father knows you need these things. Your Father knows what you need. This is why the true believer, although we're prone to it, when we find ourselves in it, we throw it off. It's what I do. I've taught you this, I think. I've shared it with you. It took me a long time. I'm, I've been a Christian for 32 years. It took me a long time to learn to throw off worry. Because I, in my, before I was born again, I, I, I was just prone to worry. You know, I was a CPA. We worried about everything, right? So, 
Uh, it took me a long time. It was a lifelong habit I had to worry and be anxious. And it took me a, a long time for the Lord to teach me how to just throw it off. And so when I find myself, you know, sometimes you just discover, I'm in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of anxiety and worry. And you just have to, you have to proactively and mentally and consciously throw it off. That's what we do. And we remember the words of Jesus, I will not be anxious because He's God. And my Father knows all that I need. Jesus finished off like this. Here's the prescription. Here's the, you know, are, are you worried? Are you anxious? Here's the pres- prescription. Jesus says, seek first what? The kingdom of God. Bam! There's your answer. Right there. Right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Are you worried? Seek the kingdom of God. Are you anxious? Seek the kingdom of God. It's the Word of Jesus. And His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom of God. You know, beloved, if you're a Christian tonight, it's all yours. Every good thing is yours. Every good thing is yours. You say, well, I don't have it yet, but you will. You will. won't be long. We'll all be on the other side. It won't be long. It'll be... You'll turn around three times and you'll be as old as me. I promise. It happens. That's fast. And I'll be long gone and I'll be with Jesus, you know, having a good time waiting on you. Beloved, every good thing is ours. Why are you worried? I know I, I'm, I'm not making light of the problems that we have, but our God is God and our God is sovereign. Don't worry, be happy. A stupid, forgettable, useless little song. Don't worry, trust God. Right? Don't worry. Trust God. That's a prescription for building a fearless and bold life. Right? For the glory of God. The other song that came to my mind, it's an old African-American spiritual. Does anybody know which, what it is? I've shared it with you three or four times. I love it. I love this song. What? what it, ain't nobody... Do me like Jesus, right? So how many of you understand what that means? It's, it's, it's African-American, southern USA dialect. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. When I read Psalm 34, my mind go, went to this song. Nobody loves me like that. Nobody else has ever loved me like the God of Psalm 34. Nobody has ever loved me like that. What does it mean? What does it mean, ain't nobody do me like Jesus? It means nobody has ever loved me, protected me, provided for me, and saved me like Jesus. Nobody's ever promised me the things Jesus has promised me. Nobody's ever committed to me like Jesus has committed to me. That's what the song means. In fact, as I was studying uh, Psalm 34, I was thinking, I wonder if that's where the song originated. I wonder if uh, ain't nobody do me like Jesus came off of Psalm 34. Because it's just astonishing all that God says to His people in Psalm 34. So, yeah, we've been looking at God for the last few weeks. Uh, I think that's what we do most of the time. That's what a church should do. We should look at God and be in awe. You know, not look at your problems and look at my problems and talk about political uh, events or cultural events or, you know, the people of God, when we get together, we, we, should, we should open the Bible and look at God. Romans 11, what is it? 30, no, 11.22. We've been talking about this for the last three or four weeks. God says, Behold 
my kindness, and my severity. It's what we've been doing for the last few weeks. And if you're looking at God, if you're looking at the unsearchable greatness of Jehovah as we just sang, ain't no God like Jehovah, right? You will not be in danger of living a superficial life. It's just axiomatic. If you're looking at Jesus Christ, you will never be in danger. If you're truly looking at Him and being changed by Him, you will never be in danger of living a superficial life. It's what we've been saying. It's what is true. It's what I've personally learned. It's what I've seen in many other lives. If you are truly looking at Jesus Christ, you simply cannot be pulled into all the lies of the world. It just can't happen. If you're looking at Jesus, right? If you really are looking at Him in a life-changing way, you simply can't be pulled into all the stupidity. You, you simply can't be. I'm not saying we're sinless. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying you can't be deceived into all the goofiness that the world puts out there. You will not live a superficial life if you are looking at God. If you are beholding the kindness and severity of God, you won't be able to live a small life. And if we are looking at Jesus, we will be able to obey Him with glad, reckless joy because Psalm 34 is true. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious because Psalm 34 is True. So before we get in the text, I'm just going to summarize. This is where we're going, okay? I'm going to summarize. I'm going to give you a few excerpts from uh, Psalm 34 so you understand uh, the emphasis of, of what we're saying tonight. This is what God says. I'm just taking excerpts from Psalm 34. God says, I will hear you. I will answer you. I will deliver you. I will save you. I will encamp around you. I will rescue you. You will suffer no want. My eyes are toward you. My ears are open to you. I will be near you. I will keep you. I will redeem your soul. If this God is for us, who can be against us, right? Amen? This is the, these are the promises of God to His people in Psalm 34. It's a beautiful... I'm almost shocked. I was shocked actually, that I'd, I'd never preached this psalm before. So let's get into the text. Psalm 34, verses 1-3. through 3. Let me just reread that. I read it to you earlier. David always starts off with worship. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. In looking at the unsearchable greatness, and you know where I'm pulling that from, Psalm 145.3 that we talked about two weeks ago. When we're looking at the unsearchable greatness of God, we have to praise. We have to worship. We have to do it. It's, <laughs> we, just, we have to do it. We are provoked. I love that. I, I, it's in my lexicon. It's in my vocabulary. I like to say it. It's, God is worship provoking. He provokes worship. You know if you're really looking at the biblical God because you will be provoked. Your heart and your mind will be provoked 
into worshiping the Lord. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago as we looked at 1 Psalm 45. David again says, I will bless you. What does it mean that, that he blesses the Lord? It, just, it means the Hebrew means that he is saluting, praising, adoring, and he is bowing down in worship. In Psalm 145, you may remember, David said, I'll bless God's name forever and ever. In our text tonight, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. He says, he says, God's praise will be continually in my mouth. So what I want to say to you, do you understand that this is not a Sunday thing for David? It's not a Sabbath. We'll get it in his context. It's not a Sabbath thing for David. It's not something he does once a week. It is his lifestyle. Do you, do you see it? He says, I'll praise God forever and ever. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. This is... Not merely what David does on occasion. This is who David is every day. Right? It's who David is every day. It's the aroma that comes off his life. He's a God lover. He's a God praiser. He's a God boaster. It's who David is. And if you don't like God, you're not going to like David. <laughs> right? You're not going to want to be around David. Because this is who he is. Was he a perfect man? Absolutely not. Did he sin grievously? Absolutely. But on balance, his life was this. His life was boasting in the Lord and letting the, the, the praise of God being continually upon his mouth. Yeah, I like there in verse 2, uh, he says, My soul boasts. So do you see this is not a little... This is not obligatory tongue-wagging on Sunday. This is not religious rhetoric. It's coming from his deepest part, right? It's, it's coming from his soul. You know, I, I can fool you, you can fool me. We can all come in here and sing and, and say nice things. But what's in your heart? What's in your soul? That's ultimately, you know, that's where it happens. That's where the important stuff happens. David says, My soul will boast in the Lord. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here. It's perfect. He says, he puts these words in David's mouth. I live and breathe God. Amen? That's what a real Christian does. I live and I breathe God. That's who I am. That's how I live. That's what I do. I live and I breathe God. God is not a Sunday habit. God is my life. Jesus Christ is my life. He is my life. He is my devotion. So what does it mean, verse 3, to magnify the Lord? Of course, we can never add to or enhance the glory of God. But what do we do? How do we magnify the Lord? How do we do it as Christians in the world? How do we do it? Anybody? We make Him known, right? We make Him known. That's how we magnify the Lord. We make Him known. We speak Jesus Christ into the conversation. We make Him known. Not the you know, generic, emasculated, cartoon Jesus that... Much of the world seems to think uh, exists, but we talk about the biblical Jesus. Right? The Lion of Judah. Right? The real Jesus. We magnify Him by speaking biblical truth into the conversation. That's what we do. That's our job. And I love here at the end, he says, look what he says. He says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name, what? Together. It's a call to corporate worship. It's what Christians have always done. Since Jesus came out of the tomb 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning, it's what we do. We've gathered on that day to worship the Lord. It's what we do. This is non-negotiable for us 
It's not a tentative thing for us. It's a priority for us. We gather as the people of God. And as David says, we exalt His name. It's in our born-again DNA. We have to do it. (laughs) We have to do it. We have to be with God's people. We have to worship Him in His church. Um, Verses 4-7. through I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. So, um, what a beautiful, beautiful passage. I've read that many, many times just to start a service. Just those, those uh, four verses there. Verse 4 reiterates uh, one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible. You guys know it. I share it with you frequently. It's the promise I share with many people who are, um, want to learn about Christ and are seeking Christ. I say I give them the, the promise, Jeremiah 29, uh, 13 and 14. God says, You will seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. On the last day at the great white throne judgment, there will not be one man or woman or, or, or accountable young person who will be able to say, I searched for you, but I could not find you. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Because God says, if you really search for Me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. Right? It's a beautiful promise. It's a, it's a breathtaking thing for God to say to rebellious creatures who just should be judged. But He says, hey, If you search for me, you will find me. David is right. The true seeker of God finds God. David says, I sought Him and He answered. God always answers His children. Always. Always. You really can't look at Jesus and be afraid You see what it says? He delivered me from all my fears. You can't really look at God, the beautiful Jesus, who's made all these promises, and entertain fear. I know it wells up in us, but what I'm saying to you as as, as you mature as a Christian, you have to learn to throw these things off. You throw off anxiety, you throw off fear. You will not entertain anxiety, I will not entertain fear. I'll look at Jesus. And trust what He is doing in my life. I love what David says in Psalm 56. When I, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. That's all I'm saying to you tonight. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Look at verse 5 here. He says, they looked to Him and were what? What does your translation say? The peoples, the, the, the peoples of God looked to Him and what? What does your translation say? Their faces were? Radiant. Radiant. Don't you love that? Radiant. Beaming with confidence and anticipation. Right? I'm not going to dwell in the darkness of, ang- of, of, of being anxious and, and, and in the darkness of fear. I'm going to look to the God 
you know, who spoke the cosmos into existence, the Almighty God, the omnipotent God. I'll look to that God. I'll behold that God. My heart will be radiant. The literal Hebrew here is, they looked expectantly to Him and they became bright. <laughs> Don't you love that? They became bright. Don't you need to become bright sometimes? Don't you sometimes just feel like you need to become bright? Yeah, we all do, of course. Look at Jesus. Open your Bible. Look at the living God. Look at Him. Behold Him. Behold the kindness and severity of God. Verse 6, there are no truly poor people who cry out to God. And what I mean truly, there's no ultimately poor people. It doesn't, it's not talking about you know, material wealth or lack thereof. That's really not the point at all. It's not even, that's not even the consideration here. We're talking about what I read to you earlier. God has gladly given us the kingdom. He has given us every good thing. We are wealthy beyond imagination and description. You say, Jim, I don't feel that. Well, you've not believed what God has said. You don't own it yet, but it is your inheritance. The cosmos is yours. Every good thing in the cosmos is yours. Do you see kind of what an insult it is to, to get so myopic on, on one little teeny you know, aspect of happiness in this life? Do you, do you, do you, see, do you get it? Do you get it? You know, you know what, a, what an error this is, what a deception it is, and even what a blasphemy it is to get so focused on one little, one little aspect of happiness that, you know, I, that eludes me and just, and just worry about it and, 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 and be upset about it all the time. Do you see what God says, look to me. God says, look to me and be happy. Look to me and know who you are. Know what your inheritance is. It's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. God saves us out of real troubles. He has redeemed our souls. I'm not talking about you know, the little daily uh, inconveniences and, and minor skirmishes we have in our life. Yes, the Lord can be at work in those, but you know, we understand. We're, we're mature Bible believers. We understand what the Bible says. God doesn't deliver us from every temporal trial. He doesn't promise that. He never promises that. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But every good thing is ours. When I read verse 7, the first time I read it, I, I couldn't help but think of Elisha over in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. You guys know the story of Elisha. They're surrounded by uh, uh, the Syrian army, a multitude. Uh, and, uh, and Elisha's servant is very upset. He's very worried. He's very anxious. And Elisha prays to the Lord and, and asks the Lord to open his servant's eyes. And what happens when, when the servant's eyes are open? Anybody remember? He saw God's angel armies, right? Don't you love that? It gives me goosebumps. There's angel armies around this building right now. There's probably some in here, right? I, I learned something today. I was listening to a sermon by John Piper. How many angels are there? Anybody have anybody know? You ever heard this number before? I've never heard it before. Shows you what a sloppy Bible student I am. But somewhere in Daniel, he talks about ten thousand times ten thousand, which is what a hundred million. So we know there's at least a hundred million. Of course, that could be a symbolic number. Of course, that's a good point, Shaheen. Yeah. So angel armies. 
And, and, and i got to read you the verse here. Elijah says, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. Amen? Don't you love it? I love it. I love it. Verse 8 through 10. Oh, taste, the psalmist says, David says, uh, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For to those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. What must we do to taste something? What, what do we have to do to taste it, to see if it's good? What do we have to do? You have to what? You have to put it in your mouth, right? You have to act. It's the same thing with knowing God and, 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 and tasting God. You have to act. You have to do something. You know, this is not navel-gazing kumbaya stuff. You have to do something. God is always calling us to do something. And He calls us here, taste and see that I am good. And it made me think of Jesus in John 6. I am the bread of life that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. So I'm going to ask you, have you tasted this bread? It's what the psalmist is saying. Have you tasted the, the eternal bread? Have you tasted this bread? The bread of Jesus, have you tasted it? If you have tasted it, I know, <laughs> I know what your testimony will be. It is good. He is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just three psalms. I could go, I could go all night on this, but just, just three quick ones. Uh, psalm 86, 5. For, for you, O Lord, are good, abundant in loving kindness. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 106, 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Look at verse 8. Blessed or happy is the man who has tasted, and my translation says taken refuge in God. The Hebrew is trusted, right? Trusted. Happy is the man who trusts in the Lord. We're back to anxiety. We're ba back to fear. We're back to worry. Happy is the man who throws it off and looks at God. What a waste of time. Worry anxiety, and fear. What a waste of your life. However much time you give to it, it's all wasted. It's disobedience. If you're a Christian, it's disobedience to God. Jesus says, don't do it. I know it's hard. It's a lifetime habit for some of us. And you have to break it. You have to consciously break it. You have to pray about it. Lord God, I want to break this. I know it doesn't please you. And I know it's wasting my time and my mental energy to engage in it. Verse 9, to the biblically illiterate, the fear of the Lord doesn't sound like a good thing, but to the biblically literate, we know it's a beautiful thing. I'm, going to give you like, I'm not going to give you all the, the, the verses. If you want them, I'll give them to you. But these are just some of the benefits and blessings of fearing God. Okay, This is yeah, all from the Scripture. Um, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. The eye of the Lord is is on those who fear Him. The angel of the Lord encamps around and protects those who fear Him. We just saw that. Uh, those who fear God have no want. We'll see that in the next verse. 
The Lord pities those who fear Him. He takes pleasure in those who fear Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to life. He who has it is satisfied. The love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear Him. The fear of the Lord means that we are God's friend, that He is watching us, that we can partake of His wisdom, that He protects us, that He provides for us, that He takes pity on us, that He has pleasure in us, that He is, uh, finds satisfaction in us, and that He loves us. Fearing God is not something to be wary of. It is something to pursue. I know some people think it's, it's old vernacular. It's, it's, it's 19th century vernacular. Listen, it's what the Bible says. To rightly fear God. Rightly fear God. God. Verse 9, for those who fear Him, there is no want or lack. And I think I don't have to say this to you guys, but I'm going to say it anyway. The obvious point here is not that we will have every temporal thing our flesh wants. That's not the promise. That's not it. But that we will not lack one good thing our infinitely gracious and attentive Father has providentially deemed best for us. We will have, we will have that. So if the trial's here, we don't doubt God. We trust God. And we believe that God is doing some good thing in the trial, right? It's just how the mature Christian thinks. It's how the biblically literate Christian learns to think. Verse 10 amplifies and illustrates the point. The king of beasts, the king of beasts may... Go hungry, but God's people shall not lack any good thing as long as God is God, which is forever. And we're talking, I, I want to make sure we're talking spiritual. We're talking, these are spiritual promises. Sometimes He does meet the, miraculously meet the needs of those in hunger, physical hunger. He can do that. Sometimes He does do that. He doesn't always do that. These are spiritual promises. You'll have the bread of life. You'll have the bread of life is the ultimate and most important, and I trust, yeah, most important promise to you. Verses 11 through 14. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David was an accomplished man. He was a musician, a poet, a soldier, a statesman, a shepherd. What did he decide to share with the young people around him? He could have, he could have taught them about politics and agri-science uh, uh, agri with the, the sheep, whatever that's called. He could have, he could have taught them um, about music. What does he, what does he choose to, to share with the young people around him? The fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord. I think that says a lot. It's the most important thing to David. I just want to ask you, do you fear the Lord in a biblical sense? Or are you still believing in the cartoon Jesus? Or are you worshiping the living God, the true God, Jesus Christ? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as we heard earlier. I want to tell you two things that the New Testament says. It's beautiful. 
The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the wisdom that has come down from God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 Psalm 115.13 God says, I will bless those who fear Me. Listen, I, some of you may be young in the faith. Some of you may not even be converted. When you hear the fear of the Lord, when you read it, you need to understand that there, there's a ton of blessing that comes with it. It's properly fearing God with reverential awe and wonder. Right? It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, a, it's an open portal into untold pleasures and treasures. Verse 12, let the, let the man who desires life and length of days and good things play religious games with God on Sunday and live like the world Monday through Saturday. Is that what it says? He follows it up by saying basically 13 and 14, order your life around the Word of God. This is what he's saying. Order your life around the Word of God. This is what believers do. It's what believers do. And it's astonishing to me, we talked about it Wednesday night in Young Adult Bible Study. We're, we're, gonna, we're taking a quick sprint through the book of Romans. And why is man without excuse before God? Because the creature refuses to honor his Creator or give him thanks. Now, doesn't that seem like uh, the the, the minimum obligation of a creature would be to what? Honor their Creator? <laughs> uh, I heard John Piper say this week, uh, an atheist is like an ant on his anthill denying the earth. Okay? I mean, this is about how ridiculous it is. In verses 13 and 14, David illustrates what honoring God looks like. It's doing the Word. We're not religious rule keepers. We love Jesus Christ. John 14, 15, Jesus said it. It's one of the most important verses in my life uh, as a Christian. It really strips away a lot of the uh, peripheral things. Jesus says, if you love Me, you'll do what I say. Doesn't that kind of strip it all down? <laughs> Doesn't that kind of remove a lot of the garbage? A lot of the stuff that we kind of pile on Christianity sometimes, it just comes down. Jesus says, if you love Me, you will keep My commandment. It's just that simple. It is just that simple. That's John 14, 15. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. And the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all of His bones. Not one of them is broken. I, I just want to ask, does it get any better? <laughs> you, read, you read these uh, five verses, five or six verses here, does it get any better? 
me ask you this. I, this the title of the sermon is, uh, and I usually never know the title until I'm through with the sermon, but I love the title. Our All In God. He's all in. He's all in with His people. Right? He's all in with His people. You read these verses here and you realize just how breathtaking they are. One commentator said, God leans in to be sure to hear every prayer from His people. He leans in. <laughs> he doesn't need to lean in. I just think it's a beautiful picture. He leans in. This awesome God who knows the Word before it's on your tongue, He leans in. I think He's right. If not physically, metaphorically, God is leaning in to hear our prayers made me think of Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be uh, quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Verse 16. We've talked about this off and on the last three or four weeks. God judges the rebel. It's what the Lord does. We talked about it, I guess, three weeks ago now, maybe four when we looked at eternal punishment, the doctrine of eternal punishment in the Bible, and we, 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 we heard one theologian say if, if it wasn't revealed, if eternal punishment wasn't revealed in the text, we would have to deduce it because that's how holy Jesus Christ is. He's just that holy that eternal punishment would be required for those who would rebel against him. I was listening to D.A. Carson. He's a famous American theologian in the States uh, right now. I was listening to him this week and he said something I just want to share with you on that. He says, a wrathless God, which I know the whole world wants one. The whole world wants a wrathless God. Well, there's not one. There's not a real one anyway. But I love what Carson says. A wrathless God does not make him uh, more attractive. It makes him morally indifferent. God cannot be morally indifferent. He cannot be. He simply cannot be morally indifferent. And so, verse 16, He is against the evildoer and He will cut their memory off from the face of the earth. Verse 17, we see the, God's attentiveness to His children, the righteous. Again, we understand uh, that being delivered from all our troubles is a clear reference to spiritual and eternal and ultimate trouble. Jesus said it, John 16.33, in this life you'll have it. In this life you'll have tribulation. In this life you'll have trouble. So, I hope there's no confusion about that. We are not immune to temporal troubles. In fact, sometimes they come to us simply because we are believers and we speak it. Sometimes because we speak the truth in the world, persecution comes to us. Sometimes God delivers His people from temporal trial. Sometimes He doesn't. This is His sovereign prerogative. Sometimes He's glorified in delivering His people. Sometimes He's glorified in satisfying His people without deliverance. Do you understand? There's a beautiful thing here. It's, all, it's, all, it's Hebrews 11, man. It's, Hebrews, it's all through the Bible. God's people can even go to martyrdom because He satisfies them so much. He fills them up so much that martyrdom is not beyond 
the pale for the true believer. We don't want to die. Christians don't want to die, but we're ready to die. You have to go back to Philippians 1 all the time, right? To live as Christ and what? To die as what? Do you believe it? Listen, if you ever believe that, you're absolutely free in the world, you know? Nobody can really intimidate you anymore if you actually, if you actually believe that that is true. It made me think of Paul, Philippians 4.12, in every circumstance I have learned, oh, the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. God says my circumstance does not matter. I'm looking at Jesus Christ. Circumstances don't dictate our view of God. Our view of God dictates our view of circumstances. Verses 18, 19, and 20. Sometimes Christians are broken-hearted, crushed in spirit, and afflicted. Amen? Spouses are unfaithful. Sometimes they leave. Children die. We get cancer. Friends betray us. Jobs are lost. We are persecuted for our faith. We are victims of crime and calamity. And that big dream we always hoped for does not come true. Sometimes we are brokenhearted, crushed, and afflicted. Verse 19, but the Lord will deliver you out. <laughs> Don't you love it? I still remember the day I couldn't cry anymore. And, 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 and my circumstance didn't change for a long, long time. But I do remember God's comfort in that moment, that one night. I still remember that black, black, black night. I still remember it. And I, I still remember that, that, that sweet, quiet voice of God saying, I will bring you out. And he brought me out. He brought me out. I still remember 2009, uh, at, right after Karen had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, I think she'd already started treatments, actually. And, and I walk into the bedroom, and she's, she's, she sits in a chair, and she reads. And she's sitting in this chair, and I walk in, and her tears are just flooding down her face. Oh, guess what? I've told you this story before. It's not about the cancer. She had a book in her hand. It's, 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 it's uh, called uh, uh, The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. We've actually studied it with the young adults here. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, you should read it. It's, about, it's really, really thin, but it's got so much meat in it, right? She's reading this book. And she's holding the book and she says, she looks at me and the tears are going down her face. She says, I love this book! <laughs> I love this book! And she reads to me what she was reading and, and what caused the tears to come. Pink writes, Here's the sure resting place for the believer. Our lives are neither the product of blind fate nor the result of capricious chance, but every detail of them was ordained from all eternity and is now ordered by the living and reigning God. Not a hair of our heads can be touched without His permission. Probably ten years earlier, Karen and I had studied this book together in a class in a church, and I, I had led this study, right? So we, 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 had, we had studied this book together, and she had written something in the margin when we had that study about a decade earlier and she showed it to me and this is what she had written in the margin all that comes to me it comes through my father's hands amen it comes through my father's hands and here she is newly diagnosed with cancer beginning uh, a treatment and she's she's weeping about how faithful her god is to her now do you understand the point are you getting the point <laughs> do you get it do you understand it she's delighting in god She's got this ordeal in front of her. Life and death ordeal. She's 
She's delighting in God. This is real Christianity. <laughs> I mean, this is real Christianity. David knew it. Karen knew it. And every true believer sitting in this room knows that our attentive God is always near. Verse 18, our gracious God has saved us. Verse 18, and our faithful God will deliver us. Verse 19, beloved, hard times never argue against God's faithfulness. In fact, they prove it. God will be found faithful in your trial. It's coming. They come. It's just part of living. The trial's coming. It's just part of living. Will you love and worship God through it? Will you hold on? Will you trust Him? Will you love Him? Verse 20. This broken bones thing is just a poetic way of saying no lasting, ultimate, eternal spiritual harm will ever come to the true believer. Let's finish up. Verse 21. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Evil consumes those who give themselves to it. It's, a, it's axiomatic. It's what happens. You give yourself to evil, you will be consumed by it. You give yourself to Christ and He will, he will redeem you. It's your choice. It's your choice. Be consumed by your own wickedness or be delivered by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation as verse 22 says. As I read that, I just want to share, I, I, I thought of Galatians 6, 7-8. Let me share that with you. I'm almost finished. Galatians 6, 7-8. The Bible says, you know this great verse, do not be deceived God is not mocked. Whatever a man what sows, this he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's verses 21 and 22. The evil shall be slain. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the souls of His servants and they will not be condemned. None of those who take refuge in Him. So don't worry, be happy. It's a silly little stupid, forgettable pop song from the 80's. It's just cotton candy in air. But what the Bible says, don't worry, trust God. Amen? Don't worry, trust God. Beloved, this is, this is rock solid biblical truth you can build your life and eternity on. Don't worry. Trust God. That little summary I gave to you as we began the exposition, I'm just going to go back and, and cover it and then we're done. Psalm 34 talks about your all-in God. God says, I will hear you. I will answer you. I will deliver you. I will save you. I will encamp around you. I will rescue you. You will suffer no want. My eyes are toward you. My ears are open to you. I will be near you. I will keep you. I will redeem your soul. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. Amen? Amen? Nobody, ain't nobody do me like Jesus. I hope you believe it. And yes, as I always challenge you, I hope you'll live it every single day for the rest of your life. 
And we now we know, don't we? If we didn't know when we came in, we know. We know what to do when anxiety and fear and worry come. What do we do? Tell me what the mature Christian does. When, when, he, when he is suddenly conscious of the fact that fear and anxiety and worry has invaded his, his mind, what, what do we do? What do we do? We just throw it off. We, we look at God. In our eye, mind's eye, we begin to look at God. Hey, memorize some Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Think deeply about all the promises of, of God, this all-in God. He's all-in, man. He's all-in. I just love that. He's all-in. I love Psalm 34. Let's pray together. What a great, and awesome, and attentive, and loving, faithful, merciful, kind, near God you are. Lord, forgive us when we entertain the worry and the anxiety and the fear. We know it's wasted time. It bears no fruit. Lord God, help us instead to learn to throw it off, to immediately turn our mind's eye to You, to remember Your godness and Your greatness, Your unsearchable greatness as we've been talking about the last three weeks, Your excellent greatness, and that we would be lost in worship and prayer as we bring whatever problem we have to You and just give it to You. Just let You have it. You already know about it. In fact, You've been working on it for a long time. You know the solution, and the solution will come at the right moment. Lord, help us to, help us to be real believers, practical believers who actually incarnate the theology that we profess to hold to. Lord God, we love You. Thank You that You are all in. Because sometimes we're probably not. Thank You that You love us. That You are merciful and kind and long-suffering. Thank You, Father, that You love us even when no one in this, on, the, on the planet can tell that we love You because we've acted so poorly. Thank You, Father. Thank You for this exhortation. Thank You for these manifold promises. Thank You how You love us, Lord God. Thank You. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me close with uh, just a benediction tonight. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace. Have a great week. Worship your God this week. Worship your God. And if, and when, and if the, 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 the darkness or the blackness, you know, the worry, and things, if it comes, learn to throw it off. Go memorize a text that helps you. Throw it off. Throw it off. Don't waste your time. Make much of Jesus this week. Have a good one. God bless.